Welcome to the Godcasts. Well, hi everyone, and welcome back to uh, this Pilgrim's Journey. If you're a, a new listener, it's great to have you with us for the journey. If you've been with us from the start and you're making the whole journey, uh, there should be some award, I think, some sort of prize. Yeah, an award or treatment of some sort. Therapy. Therapy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Although I, this has been quite therapeutic, I feel uh, for you. Well, I've had some some nice quiet time, like when I get up at six o'clock in the morning to record at seven, and then we start at half past nine. Yeah, but I did. Dave is alluding to the fact that I did completely forget that we were going to have a very early recording session today, and this has happened once in all the times that we've planned to uh, record, um, and uh, he's decided to bring that up uh, on air. It um, it's hard really working with somebody who's so full of bitterness, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so apologies to you, Dave, uh, for making you get up early, uh, and apologies to you, the listener, for that little spat. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Dave? Are you well? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I'm back home, having been in North Wales for a few days with the kids. Um, Climbing Snowden and just having a fabulous time. Yeah, sounds amazing. Awesome. Sounds really, really good. Yeah, um, it was really good. I did hope that I might be able to get Abigail and Chris to just give their their views of having joined me on this journey. But at the times when we were recording, uh, they were still asleep. So unfortunately, that didn't happen. Because we're men of prayer that like to rise early. And work mm-hmm. um, they're they're in their twenties and they get up sort of after lunch. Well, you know, now that's not really fair. They did get up relatively early, but not at seven o'clock. So, <laughs> I mean, you can't get up Snowden lazily, can you? I mean, there's a no, yeah, not at all. Not yeah, at... You have to attack the path. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm good. Back home, but now it's raining, and uh, there we mm. go. Yeah, I'm fine too. Thanks for asking. So um, today we are in or headed for Eastbourne. Indeed, yes, Eastbourne. Um, so continuing along the South Downs Way and along the South Coast, um, Eastbourne was an interesting place to head to because I'd heard from somebody else that it's kind of uh, retired Baptist ministers' haven. Um, so I wasn't sure whether I was going to bump into, you know, hordes of retired Baptist ministers there. But um, no, we did they stay... Have little warning signs up. Yeah, like, like like street signs, you know, where you get crossing and that. There's a picture of a sort of hunched over man or woman with a Bible in their hands. You know. <laughs> Beware, retired Baptist minister. <laughs> What's your language? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but we did stay with... Um, um a minister and his wife uh whilst we were there from the baptist church which was really nice with a nice chat about some of their work that they've done many years ago in china mm. um missionary work and outreach work and ian um got out this chinese tea making set mm. which abigail was was really amazed about and she really loved he went through the whole ceremony of making oh, wow. tea. Wow. And it was really nice. It was a, yeah. a lovely evening. We had a great time. Really mm. good. That sounds awesome. Sounds really good. It cool. was. It was really good. And then we didn't have to get up mega early. Um, 
to get to Eastbourne. So the walk was um, was pretty cool. I mean, there was more of the, the cliff paths. Mm. Abigail was was clearly sick of seeing. To be honest, it was a day where we encountered something of the um, the chaplaincy that takes past takes place up there. So, you know, we're close to Beachy Head. And um, I, I think I said to you before, I, I prefer to keep well away from the edge of the cliffs when we're walking. Um, but Beachy Head has a bit of a reputation for being a place where people who find themselves in desperate places and desperate situations can make some desperate decisions about their lives and so um, local churches come together to provide chaplaincy service and there are people that walk along the path there just making themselves available to to talk to people just to, to be there which I think is just a, a fabulous ministry um, in many ways a very simple ministry to, to offer you know just to be there however I imagine also an extraordinarily challenging ministry yeah yeah um, because of the the place not not physically but emotionally the place you may find people mm. um, but i was just it was so good to see there's a there's a sort of a plaque there a, a bible scripture mightier than the thunders of many waters mightier than the waves of the sea the lord on high is mighty which mm. god is always greater than all of our troubles and it was just such a fabulous thing to see there. Mm. Uh, this this brief scripture of hope mm. and the activity of, of local church people who are there to try and speak hope into people's lives who are really struggling and have found themselves contemplating taking their lives. Mm. So that was good to see, mm. uh, good to experience. Um, and good, yeah. We've spoken a few times, haven't we, about... Um trying to reach people that aren't um sort of in the center on more on the sort of the fringes and i i guess that's just a beautiful picture of, of ministry literally on the edge like yeah um, absolutely yeah and i think there's something you know like like you were saying there about that scripture that there's something that we have to offer in that moment i, th I think the a lot of the times when people are going through those kind of um desperate times one of the things that makes it even more desperate even more isolating is that people don't want to talk about um they either don't want to make you feel more depressed or they don't want to raise mm -hmm. it for fear of or they just don't know what to say they don't know what to do and so people often will try this very uh, either this sort of jolly up kind of you know let's just keep you busy let's just keep you talking let's just distract you kind of approach uh, and it possibly there are times for that uh, but um, I, I think one of the, the unique things is that because we have something to say, because our faith gives us hope of life after death, of forgiveness, of restoration, uh, of, of, of full and, and total forgiveness, um, we have something to say at that point. And so yeah. it's not just that churches can go to the edge, it's actually uh, who else could go to the edge and talk to people. Yeah, I think that's, that's uh, really insightful. The... Um... I, I've, I've had to engage with people that struggle with depression yeah. and bouts of anxiety. And what what I found in my conversations with them is is how often they find 
they find that you know there's this sort of pull yourself together then let's jolly up and they're in a place where there's no rational explanation for why they're like they are and why they can't do what it is they need to do and being told to to cheer themselves up is is the most um frustrating almost painful thing that anyone can say and in actual fact i think because of the hope that we have in, in, in our lives, in our gospel lives, and the hope that is at the heart of that message we want to share, it does give us the opportunity to say, well, let's talk about it. You know, do you want to talk about whatever it is that's around? And it does invite people to talk about the things that are going on around them, however irrational they are rather than, than doing this let's pretend it's not happening let's go and do something else yeah um the as you say the jolly jolly sort of response mm. um and hope you know in order to discover hope you do have to engage with the thing that is that is holding you back from it in the first place mm. now hope is is an antidote to despair mm. Mm. um and for so many people who live their lives in despair, when you think about the reality of living in a world of despair, mm. ultimately, to, to be able to offer hope is such an exciting and amazing thing to do. And it, it's not like anything else you say anybody else can offer. Mm. Nothing else I, offers that. And it's different from sort of trying to think positively, isn't it? Yeah. It's different to positive thinking. Which somehow seems to to want to deny the reality of the despair, uh, or sort of brighten it up somehow. Um, but hope functions differently. You know, it's a um, um, it, it it's more of a reality. I, I think one of the closest experiences I've had uh, was you know, you know you know well, Dave, the the experience I had at the start of this year, mm. uh, where I needed to take some time off just because I was aware that something was wrong. Um, it was just like the wheels came off, um, and there were certain things I can analyse and say were, were part of it, uh, but there was a very deep um, concern that something wasn't right. Um, and yet, looking back now, I mean, there were numerous blind spots. One, one particularly massive one. Um, but one of the experiences I had was of um, speaking to a counsellor, who suggested that I might be um, experiencing um, a level of burnout. And kind of just brushing that off, you know, and just saying, well, no, I've I've seen burnout, you know, and I know what that is. Um, and then a real God incidence reading a book that I didn't intend to read. It was one that was recommended by Amazon uh, rather than one that I was, um, you know, looking, the one that I was ordering. Um, and the very next day, um, turning the page, and the whole chapter was about burnout. Mm. Um, and he describes in that chapter 11 signs of, of burnout. Uh, and I could easily take nine uh, of them and possibly even one more. Um, and it was that uh, rush, weird rush of emotions of, okay, this is a thing that people go through. This isn't mm. just... Um, because that is what despair drives you to, is that there's nobody that can help me with this, there's nowhere to go with this, it's just how it is. Um, and it sort of hammers down the lid on any light getting in. Uh, and that uh, reality of, of recognising myself in someone else's experience, and someone being 
brutally honest uh, about their own experience. Uh, really opened it up. And I remember I was, I was sat by the side of a swimming pool reading this book in tears um, because it actually gave me hope. Um, but it, it didn't deny the despair. It didn't deny mm. the darkness. It was actually really honest about the darkness and the despair. Um, but then said, but there is a way out. There is a way through. Because I've, I've been there and I've done it. Um, and I think without somebody that can say that to you, um, you know, I've been here, uh, or there, there is a way out. I know, I, I know the path from here up. Um, any other attempt to, to suggest that it's not a real place or not a real experience or not a valid emotion um, is only going to make the person feel worse. Yeah, absolutely. And and perhaps something that feeds that or goes alongside that is again something we've touched on a few times and that's we, we live in a world where we're told it's all in our hands everything's about us and it's a, and we can do anything we want including you just it's up to you to you can sort it all out you can do it and that sounds quite empowering when you sort of think of it as a, on, on the surface level but actually it's terrifying mm for a lot of people to be told, do you know what? If you've got something problem, you can sort it out, you can fix it. Because if you find yourself in a position where you absolutely can't, mm. then it leaves you in a place that's so well, well, I must be so broken. Yeah. Even I can't fix myself. And everybody's telling me all these self-help books and self-help courses and all, all this stuff that's out there. It's, you can do it. Mm. But if you can't, it just compounds the problem. I mean, on on what what seems on the outside quite a small level, um, Abigail, my daughter, she goes through some periods sometimes of anxiety and um, mm. uh, depression. Even whilst we were away this week, we we had a fabulous, stunning day. We'd gone a, a short way up the Watkins Path, which is the oldest route up. Um, Snowden, but we weren't planning to go back up to the top. I just knew that there were, there were these amazing waterfalls and pools, and we just wanted to go and relax. And we'd had an amazing day there, then jumping in and out the water and just uh, when we got back, or we were heading back and we wanted to stop off and get something. We got to the cafe and Abigail just said, I just feel really down and I don't know why. Yeah. And it just came out of nowhere. There was no reason. And this, this is how sort of the anxiety and depression will hit her sometimes. And I can remember at home when she was still living at home in Cambridge that there'd be days when I'd sort of go in and I had not seen her in the morning and she was just stuck in bed and her room was an absolute chaos sort of zone. And early on, my, my attempt was, well, if you tidied your room up, everything, you know, would make you feel better. And I had to learn with her that that wasn't the solution. It wasn't that simple, you know, and you can get these self-ups. Well, tidy your room and it'll all be good. Well, the problem is, you know that your room is a mess. You know that it would make you feel better if you tidied it up. But you, something stops that happening. And that's the reality of the sort of um, irrational nature of, of anxiety and depression. And similar things that Chris has talked about when he was at uni, having a difficult couple of months at, at one point there is no rational explanation for it you know that if you don't do this it's going to come out badly mm. 
So when we when we keep telling people that it's in their hands to fix themselves, we're really sending them off on a dangerous place. And what we have, and where I'm getting to in this, sorry, what we have is the real answer, the hope that's found in a God who loves them and loves them unconditionally and, and does have a way to help them out of that thing. But it isn't up to them, it's it's up to him and he can do it. And in a, and something that strikes me about that is that for the world, the idea of believing in God is such an irrational thing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, yeah, the irrational God is the solution to irrational depression and irrational mm-hmm. chaos mm-hmm. in the world, because he isn't actually irrational. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was fabulous to, to encounter people just normal people who've had, uh, from chatting to them, they have some sort of fairly basic um, training and, and guidance in how to sort of deal with people or tackle people that they find and engage with them. And they're given a lot of support too. Important, if you're dealing with people at a pastoral level, having the support to unload things that people might share with you. Hmm. Um because, you know, if something in life has got you to a point where you're stood at the edge of a cliff contemplating jumping and you share that with somebody, a volunteer, that volunteer needs support. Um, perhaps one of the things that we we don't do enough of when in supporting our leaders in our churches, mm. day in, day out, many ministers and others in, in leadership are coming alongside people pastorally and taking on a lot of the stuff that you know not not taking it for themselves but helping carry those things helping people unload them and then we don't have anywhere to 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 get rid of that to put it down and lay it down and i can remember times in my church ministry when when i felt quite overwhelmed by some of the things that i was dealing with and um i i did keep uh, after my training period, I did keep somebody on as a um, spiritual sort of director, somebody that I could meet with, and that was every couple of months um, towards the end of my church ministry. And that was really important. And I don't know whether whether as ministers we're encouraged enough to do it or enabled enough, or whether we one of the things that we do as ministers is think, oh, well, you know, it's my job, I can do it, I don't need it. Um until it's a contributor to burnout and overload and and maybe that you know when it's not when it's not my thing that i'm carrying it's somebody else's it's harder to see why it would be such a problem but we only have a certain capacity to hold on to so much stuff i I think part of it is what we were talking about earlier that it's not our job to um fix people mm-hmm. um and so you know to, to be there in that moment and to try and offer uh, uh, your presence yourself um your hope your, your comfort it does exactly cost and it comes at a risk because that person may receive it or not um they might receive it well they might receive it for a while um but it's all we can do we can't make choices Mm -hmm. for people Uh, we can't make changes uh, for people 
Um, there's a um, a book, a series that I've fallen in love with called um, Earthsea. I've absolutely devoured it. I'm I'm late as I usually am to the to the game. The book was out years and years ago. Uh, the author's now since died, but it's an incredible story. Uh, and in that, there's a very young, impulsive um, guy that discovers he's got these sort of wizard-like powers. A guy called Sparrowhawk. Um, and uh, the, the local town he's in don't know what to do with him. And um, he's sort of hoisted on to an older wizard called Ogion. Um, and Ogion's got the nickname Ogion the Silent, um, who's had a tremendous... I mean, he's got this sort of aura about him because of the history he's had. Still an earthquake. Um, and yet, when Sparrowhawk first meets him, he's deeply disappointed because he just seems to be very slow very thoughtful, very slow to act. And he sort of begins to describe to him that actually um, there's a balance, there's an equilibrium to the world and that they should only ever use their sort of wizardry in absolute dire straits because they've got this phrase they use that I like that um, causing rain to fall on Roke, which is where the school of wizardry is, uh, could mean drought somewhere else. Mm -hmm. and so every time you do something, you're, you're upsetting the equilibrium. Uh, and so power to act is also power uh, not to act. Uh, and there's this one bit where Sparrowhawk eventually comes to um, sort of realize the importance of uh, of all of this and there's a phrase and i'm going to get it wrong because i haven't read this part of the book for a long time but uh where he talks about having a silence that is not empty but a silence that is full mm. um and that for him because of mistakes that he's made is is very very healing and meaningful um and sometimes we feel bad about silence you know the, the temptation the human temptation to fill it you know, especially if you're an extrovert uh, or if you've got a personality that is very, um, you know, I want to be the healer in this situation. I want to make a difference. Uh, but sometimes silence is the most important thing, a full silence. where We're not silent because we're thinking about something else, but we're fully present. But just listening uh, is incredibly healing. Yeah. The power of silence, the stillness, you know, be still. And know that I am God, you know. It's a very simple invitation, but it's when we're still and silent, yeah. and and allowing God into the places, into the things that fill us up, mm -hmm. that we can find the solution to so much stuff in our lives. Yeah. And yet, what what we actually do is we we run over to God occasionally and shout and babble out all the things that are going on. Oh, God, this, why haven't you done this? Ah, oh, this is my son, what to say, blah, blah, blah. And we, we kill the silence yeah. that yeah. God has, has already prepared for us to just be in his presence and be, be able to receive calm and peace and hope yeah. and all those beautiful things that he can give us because we're too noisy. <laughs> Um, and, and even just the knowledge that he's God. I mean, that's just <laughs> that alone. <laughs> I'm yeah. not God, you know. I'm not. I'm not in charge of this. And just no. to be reminded of that. Um, it, uh, the other passage I love is uh, I think it's Ecclesiastes, where um, he says, "You are God in heaven, and here am I on earth. So I'll let my words be few." Yeah. And I just love that. That sort of. <laughs> The, the little old me on this massive planet, you're God in heaven. Yeah. So I'll, I'll shut up now. I'll shut up. <laughs> and I'll, I'll just listen to what you've got to say. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or or even, you know, I mean, there are times when God seems to have an awful lot to say. There's other times he's just there and there's a peace that comes and, and a, a presence that rests in that moment um, that is beyond words. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Incredible. So... Uh, the other interesting thing I wanted to sort of pick up on, having read your reflection for today, um, was um, you start to reflect on the way that you're reflecting, which is kind of an interesting thing, um, because some of your reflections were private in the in the journal, um, and other other ones you were sharing on Facebook um, for the I think was it five followers or four you had at the time. It went down, didn't it, as the as the journey went on, but. Um, that's an interesting thing as well, is that you're um, you're reflecting for yourself, but with others. Yeah. So, in in my in in my reflections on my journal, what what I discovered a few days before, um, just a couple of days before, I think it was close to when Abigail joined me. One of my hosts um, was quite challenging about how the shape of my online Facebook reflections had changed or they would your shape had changed yeah my shape had changed yeah it did by then it was a much better shape (laughs) Um, and I'd been kind of reflecting on this I'd been a little bit upset I think when when it was said and I didn't challenge it but I was you know oh it's changed you talk about different things or you say and by this day, I, I it had been going around my head a while, and I just kind of was thinking, well, yeah, but that was part of the point. Mm. Actually, I wanted to mm. be challenged in this in this journey to think about all sorts of things. I hope to God was going to, you know, give me an opportunity to to look at lots, and there were very personal things, and there were some that were quite big sort of theology things and others that seemed very localized but and and my thinking I think did change and, and right now this last week or so it had been very much shaped about sharing the journey with Chris and Abigail and mm-hmm. I think that probably influenced some of the things that I shared online mm-hmm. um and so I think you know for me it was a case of I came on this journey hoping to be changed mm-hmm. and believing that God would do something and and so it was it was natural that my my shape should change, that my my reflections should change, the things I wanted to to say, um, and I think that's okay. That's why I was being a pilgrim. That's why I was doing it to to make the journey and see change, and possibly for somebody else looking at my reflections, some of them might not have seemed that important, um, but on that day they were the thing that was in my mind they were important to me on that day and that's why i i did them really mm. Mm. it's important isn't it, to give space to those voices um those things that are bubbling up inside of us it, um they do need space to be sort of heard and explored um yeah and, and i guess it, it's an example of for me, I know this is part of my personality. That if someone someone says something that I feel is a negative sort of comment on me or something, I'm not good at perceiving that, uh, and I'm pretty confident that I'm not alone in that. Mm-hmm. But it, I feel like I'm the only one that struggles with it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And if I if I tried to respond on the on the day at the time, I don't know that it, it would have come out very well. Um, and what I have discovered and what I was able to practice there is that the better time to deal with that is is when you've had time to be quiet, mm. to be in the silence for a bit and just reflect on it before you yeah. impulsively respond. Um, maybe not necessarily fairly or having properly reflected on what the person was, was saying or trying to say. Mm. So, it's interesting, isn't it? A number of years ago, um, we walked through something quite difficult as a church together, and um, we had an email from somebody, and the email was meant to be one of encouragement, uh, but in it, they were sort of they mentioned a few things that they'd heard people say, and uh, but the gist of it was, but the majority don't feel this way. You know, we're praying for you, we're with you if you need anything. Uh, but of course, having read that email the only thing I could think about was the things that they'd heard people say. Yeah. Um, and so even when people are trying to encourage you, uh, we, I think we're just wired to, to pick up on those, on those things. You know, it's a, um, uh, in the flesh, it's a very human instinct, isn't it? To want to mm. vindicate and validate ourselves. And if, if you are um, genuinely trying to do your best in the job or in the role that you have and trying you know, in, in ministry, in church leadership, trying to do that as well as possible. And and you know that you're not perfect at it. And yet when somebody comes and says... Thank you for listening to The Godcasts. Mm-hmm.